Welcome back to Brain Body Movement, the podcast for those interested in everything nutrition, training, and mindset. I'm one of your hosts, Brad, and I'll be joined by my co-host, Brock. Today's episode was another Q&A where we answered four questions that got sent to us through social media. Question number one, how do you warm up for your one rep max? Question number two, after a cut, should I reverse my calories back up slowly or go straight to maintenance? Question number three, would it be better to focus posterior delts on back day rather than shoulder day? And question number four, what to do if you're in a deficit and struggle to go up in weights in your lifts? Would a diet break help? That was in the back half of the show. And in the front half, we mentioned the Liver King and Carnivore MD, Cocaine Bear, certain drugs being legal in Australia, TikTok trends, and gave you a few random facts. All right, enjoy the show. Extraordinary claims should require extraordinary evidence to be believed. Liver King. <laughs> I'm all natural, bro. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If somebody's claiming some sort of quack, ask for their evidence. Like, what's what's the proof behind this? And if it's purely anecdote, then maybe it works for them. It may not work for you. So I, I know a, a wannabe influencer at the moment who keeps pushing the same agenda along the lines of, it works for me, it works for me. Cool, it works for you, bro. It doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone else. Just because what you're trying to sell people and push upon people works for you does not mean it will work for everybody else. Everyone's unique, different lifestyles, different genetics, uh, different different thought processes, different values in life. Like, Yeah. So if, if someone does make an extraordinary claim, ask them, what's the evidence to support this? Is there any evidence to support this? Mm. And uh, watch them sort of peter away. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But sometimes they're so stuck in to their like belief system of like they'll just put up a wall and then just deny it and then just ramble on about other other stuff like case in point classic sauna sauna talk that i have with random people <laughs> and there was this guy in there and he was just chatting absolute shit about just stuff you don't you're just like nah man like i'm like, and i was like trying to have a conversation with him and trying to be open and ask him questions instead of telling him that he was wrong because i think if you tell someone they're wrong like immediately, like you're not going to have a conversation with someone. So I like to ask questions to try and get them to think through their process of why they came to where they came to, like mm-hmm. how they came to the decision. And he's just like, oh, yeah, you know. And then he's just like, oh, it's the government. I'm like, all right, no worries, man. Like, <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's them, you know, it's it's them. It's like if if you hear anyone say it's them, then just immediately, like, you could probably nine times out of 10. No, I'm going to say 10. 10 out of 10, probably just, <laughs> they're just chatting absolute shit because they think that it's outside of them when really it's, they're just misguided in what they're, they're talking about. And also another litmus test would be if they say something like, oh, it, like, contrary to what people believe, this is the real solution. Like, we're going against the grain, like, mostly most of the time it's it's mostly wrong because it's like oh all this evidence and all these scientists are wrong how how are all these scientists wrong for like so many years like yes obviously sometimes science can be wrong but that's with the evidence that they have at the moment so science continues by doing experiments and testing them and then you find a result and it's not just one result that'll change like the whole scheme of like the whole what's the what's the word body of evidence i guess um it's like okay 
there's there's a finding. So one study showed this certain thing in say nutrition or whatever. You know, all right, can that be replicated? And once it's replicated a few times with a few meta analysis, then you could probably make a switch to something. But if someone is saying, "Oh yeah, we've we've done our own studies and we found this," like show it to to the rest of other people, so then it get like reviewed and stuff. And yes, it's not like the best. Sometimes it may not be like the best review process, but it's like science is all we have for like the best uh, of finding the not not so much the truth, but what's not right like you know what i'm saying like they're they're, yeah. they're trying to what do it isn't the what what it isn't yeah what it isn't so then you can like make inferences of all right well it's not that so then we can do this because science is always going to be evolving and yeah it's it's a big one especially in like the space of you know tiktok and stuff <laughs> <laughs> where all sorts of shit could happen and then some will say something and then it's going to take you like 10 times longer just to refute them back just like documentaries on what was that fucking documentary there's been a what few the health there's yeah all that kind of stuff and game changers i think was another one where it's like there's just so much misled information in those documentaries that it takes like professional professional people that have actually done proper science and backed by evidence to say this is wrong this is why and then they like do numbers that inflate things that don't need to be inflated like um absolute numbers versus like absolute risk versus relative risk like all that kind of stuff so yeah just uh ask for evidence and hopefully you'll um see clearer through through the world yeah nine times out of ten if it sounds too good to be true and they're promising some magic pill potion powder program whatever it may be it's probably because it is too good to be too big yeah too good to be true mm-hmm. so yeah yeah just just question things and if you're like oh wow that sounds amazing like why does that sound so amazing maybe do a little bit of research on it get curious and educate yourself and then go okay i can make a more informed decision now because i'm educated on the subject that's that's always the way i would lean i mean yep. and another example i know i said liver king because he's just the the kingpin to talk about at the moment in terms of his natural lying, now, isn't he lying yeah <laughs> lying their way through the, through the fitness industry but um, another example is Carnivore MD. So he's really, really good at uh, cherry picking his studies to sort of suit his agenda. But he doesn't even cherry pick the studies in in humans half the time. So it's like a a rat study or a mice study, or and it's extrapolated from this, and it's something to do with mental health. When he's talking about physical health, it's like, what are you going on about here, man? Like, it's crazy. Another another example is as much as I listen to him and I like a lot of the content he produces is Andrew Huberman. So he, he works with mechanisms and he doesn't think long-term, he's often short-term. So he's like, okay, this happens in the brain and this causes this. So A to B to Z. And he just makes this bold assumption and, and conclusion. It's like, hang on, it doesn't work like that. People are very, very different in the real world and, and real life. And yeah, he, he makes these bold claims judging from um, assumptions that he's made from A to B. And because it's A to B, it's B to C. And then he goes C to F. It's like, oh, hang on, mate. That's not exactly how the human psychology works, or the human body works, or yeah. I, I think he was on a he was on a, someone else's podcast recently talking about fasted cardio, and he goes, oh, it's the glycogen stores are depleted. You're more likely to burn fat, rah rah rah. rah. And that's true. You are more likely to burn fat in the short term, but over the course of whether you do it fasted or fed, 
you burn the same amount of calories. And we know that you've got to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. So if you're burning the same amount of calories, it doesn't matter whether you do it fasted or fed in terms of the result that it will give you. So, and he's still, he's still preaching that. And that's been, that's been known for ages that that's not the case, but that's because he's looking at short term of like, it burns more fat. In other words, it just uses more fat for fuel. It doesn't burn more calories, but it just uses fat as its primary source. So just be careful. They may be well-educated. They may have MD in their Instagram handle. They may have a PhD. They may have whatever it may be, but just just be mindful and be like, okay, that sounds too good to be true and just question it. Get curious, educate yourself, learn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a lot There's a lot there. Uh, yeah, human, Huberman, he's um, more in the neurobiology of the brain and stuff. So yeah. he's looking at those kind of mechanisms. And yeah, when it comes to nutrition, it, or training it's he's a little bit out of his league there um but he speaks so he yep. speaks so confidently mm-hmm. and precisely and everything is articulated well over his mouth and you're like oh wow this guy knows what he's talking about but that's because he's a lecturer he's a podcast host he's a presenter so he speaks clearly and he sounds like he's super well educated in what he's talking about but unless it's to do with the brain question things that that man happens to say yeah exactly and i mean i know that because he is a scientist of neurobiology or whatever, um, I think him and Lane did have a discussion because Lane called him out and then um, he actually did have a discussion. So I'm giving him points for that. But yeah, there's still probably things that he may say that he may take out of context. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll he'll come around. But like, yeah, I'm sure um, Lane ripped into him a little bit over certain yeah. posts and stuff that he's doing. And and speaking, uh, speaking of uh, no, you go. I was just gonna say, and and you also brought up yeah, the carnival empty. Um, mm. I've already forgot his name, but I got caught into that trap of him buying his uh, carnival code book, and I did carnival for a while, and how I like I felt pretty good doing it and stuff. I didn't buy into everything that he said, but he does speak very articulate, and then backing up studies, and then back back in those days, I didn't always look up the studies. And yeah, it was like in rats or mm. in a petri dish, which is like in a little like container with a cell. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, yeah. all right, now, nah, mate. <clears throat> so yeah, just be just be mindful. It's looking at like the hierarchy of evidence. Um, but yeah, if you see it, if you see something that's so bold out and out there, just step back a minute and be like, oh, is that actually true? Because you know when they used to have like. Um, coffee is good and then it's like coffee is bad it's just like oh my gosh just, butter just... is good butter is bad <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. All, it all depends and like how much you have throughout your um, your lifetime and this is like a lot of those headlines come from epidemiology which is like over a long span so it's good to have them um, but you can't make like big bold claims out of them too much so yeah just be mindful with that kind of stuff in in defense of Paul, Paul Saladino is his name, by the way. Right, right, that's right. Uh, in defense of him, over the last couple of months, he seems to have come around a little bit in his very hard stance of just eat meat. Like he's now in- including some honey, some berries. He's When he's talking about vegetables, he doesn't say not to eat vegetables because there's defense mechanisms in them. He says, you'll probably get rid of majority of the defense mechanisms if you do cook them thoroughly, which wow, is the is case. He- Oh yeah, yeah. So he, he he was talking about like, mushrooms the other day. Yeah, the bloke's full full done a one eighty, and 
credit to him for doing that because he was such a hard stance and now he's changed around. It's the same with Lane Norton. That's why I admire Lane so much. He went into his, his PhD study on metabolism and thinking that eating six small meals throughout the day will stoke the metabolic fire, which we know now is a myth. But we know it's a myth because Lane went and did the study. He did the study. It turned out it didn't matter whether you have six small meals, three large meals, one big meal. It doesn't, doesn't matter. It's the caloric value of the food that you're eating that matters. And then Lane came out and he was like, look, I was wrong. I've got to change my stance. He was also pretty pretty bullish on pushing BCAs to people. Yeah, BCAAs, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and For a while, recent... like only just yeah, like a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah, he recently changed his stance on that and was like, look, if you're eating sufficient protein, you probably don't need the branch chain amino acids because it's you're being covered in, in eating the sufficient protein. So that's what I like when, when there's a, a bit of evidence out there and someone's hard-nosed on it and they go, okay, the evidence has changed and they can shift and they've got no problem owning up to it and going, hey, I was just following what the evidence, the body of evidence at the time supported. There's new evidence out. It's been replicated. So this is what I'm going to go with now. Yeah. So, it's also interpretation of it as well, isn't it? Mm, like you yep. can see two different things and then get a different outcome from each one of like your beliefs, looking for confirmation bias of like, oh yeah, this study showed this, but really it was like six people compared to like the other body of the evidence. So um, yeah, it does. it's like a train with people's beliefs. It's like not a car. It's like it's going to take a little bit just to slightly go off track to a new track of, of way of thinking. And all to it, like I've changed my mind so many times. But at the start, it was it was like maybe I was changing it too much. And then I was just, oh, okay. I was just, oh, that's what they said. Then I believe it straight away. And now it's like, okay, I'm just calling bullshit in most things that I hear. And then I'll like mm-hmm. think about it, do a bit of research myself and go, okay, is is this confirming my bias? Is this actually different to what I actually think? And can I move forward learning something from this? And you just take it and you're like, all right, yep, I've been thinking this thing for a while now. I should probably change my stance on it because there's enough evidence now and that you, that whole tipping point of like, all right, there's just too much evidence. I've got to change it. And hey, congratulations to everyone that do change their certain beliefs because that's growing. That's a part of growing and learning about yourself and learning about the world. Like if you're always stuck in the same place, it's because you're stuck and you're stagnant and you're not growing and you're not learning. And some people may go to you and go, this may be in everything, not just like your stances, but like the way you are with um, your boundaries or anything with like relationships and stuff like that. And people may say to you, oh, you've changed. It's like, no, I've grown. You've, you've, you've not changed. So that's where this discrepancy has come about. And so, yeah, look out for that kind of stuff as well. So speaking of confirmation bias, I just want to uh, go a bit of confirmation bias with ourselves here. So there was recently, I'm going to nail that, nail that last uh, nail in the coffin of, of the importance of sleep. So study done, and it was uh, saying life expectancy, if you followed these five parameters in regards to sleep, 4.7 years greater life expectancy for men and 2.4 greater for women. Um, and the five key parameters are, so seven to eight hours of sleep per night. Now, I just want to clarify that is sleep, not time in bed. They are two different numbers. Second one is difficulty falling asleep no more than two times a week. Uh, trouble staying asleep no more than two times a week. Not using any sleep medication, 
So that could be like a, a melatonin or a temazepam or um, like an anxiety medication to help relieve anxiety before going to bed. And the fifth one was feeling re- well rested when waking up at least four, preferably five days of the week. So if you ticked off those five key parameters, you can add a couple of years to your life. <laughs> How good is that? And you're bringing this up as like my sleep. Confirmation bias. Yeah. Oh, really? Your sleep? Yeah. My sleep, the last week I looked on my ring and it was the lowest sleep I've had for like, as far as the ring went back, which was like 2020 or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. I was like, how how has it like been up late? Anyways, it's booking flights and all this kind of shit. <laughs> and it's crazy because it's like the first week of my um my shred to ten again, it's phase two, and it's like I need that sleep, but hey, still going forward. And I was like, damn, like I, it's not that I felt tired waking up. I think um it just yeah, I I felt okay, so it hasn't really hit me, which is good. Um, but yeah, had good sleep today. Yeah, well, I mean, I had good sleep today, so see how we go. But yeah, my not my normal time asleep is yes seven hours 37 minutes which is which is fine for me i work well in that that range mate yeah in that range it is a bang in that range exactly and then my time in bed i think was yeah over eight hours or something um but when i'm yeah going to be tracking myself or with other people it's time in bed because you don't know how long you're going to be asleep unless you have an aura ring like if you have an aura ring that'd be good but even still you can't you won't know like if you give yourself a range, right, this is what time I want to go to bed. This is what time I want to wake up. And that's your time in bed. Whereas like, oh, how do I know how long I've slept kind of thing? So that's that's one thing that I would say, all right, give yourself at least eight to nine hours in bed. So then you may fall back into that seven to eight hour range. Yeah, absolutely. Go go time in bed if you don't have an aura ring. But seeing as though we both have an aura ring, there is something that I want to bring up, which uh blew my mind so i'm obviously doing a lot more cardio at the moment so i'm doing that long run on a weekend i'm doing 30 minutes on the stairs throughout the week and then i'm doing a um, short five minute hit on the assault bike my heart rate variability was 133 on saturday morning <laughs> and sorry average, sunday morning it? average no no that was that was the, that, the, that, that was the average the highest was like 168 oh god wow <laughs> yeah yeah and my resting heart rate was down to 36 beats per minute, which Dude. is crazy, crazy low. So crazy. I'm, I'm noticing, and this is, this is the beauty of having something like an aura ring to track things like that. So I'd say this is the most reliable form of like measuring heart rate and, and things like that whilst sleeping. It's, it's much more accurate than my watch. My watch is, it's all over the shop, but that's the beauty of having something like that. So I wouldn't know how much healthier my heart was if I didn't have this ring to track other than me going, okay, I'm running further. I'm feeling a bit fitter when I'm running. I'm hitting a fatigue point later. I wouldn't really have a parameter to tell of like, is my heart healthier? Whereas with this, I I know for sure that my resting heart rates come down roughly four to five beats per minute. And my HRV is through the roof. So for the first time ever, the first time ever for the third time, Ever, I got an optimal on my sleep in my aura ring this morning and I had an optimal in my readiness. I don't usually get optimal. What do you mean you don't get optimal in your sleep? So above 85 score, I don't get it. Very rare. Are you serious? Yeah. 
Yeah. Bro, I get them all the time. Yeah, I'm not a good sleeper. Interesting. Because you were like, yeah. your HIV is way higher than mine. Yeah. Um, like the average. But I'm getting I'm getting optimal sleeps like at least two or three a week. So how much cardio are you doing? I'm doing no cardio because I'm on a, <laughs> I'm doing a, um, I'm doing a, uh, a, 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 like a aggressive cut at the moment. So I don't need to do any cardio for these six weeks. Um, but I, I'm going to probably start introducing more. I, you know, I'll chuck it in once or twice here or there, but it's not like consistent. But after this six weeks, yeah, I'll probably introduce a bit more cardio and then the river's coming up. So a bit of cardio there as well. <laughs> so yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember I, yeah, playing around with that a little bit of like and also breathing through my nose. I don't know how accurate that was, but they I did see a few I think it was, yeah, my heart rate at night or my breathing. My breathing went down when I um did like nose breathing throughout like the whole day and did some breath work. So that was also yeah. interesting. But like you said, yeah, you, you won't know that kind of data unless you have, say, a ring at night. But for people that don't have a ring, because they do set you back a little bit, if you don't have a ring, I think there's like, you won't know at night. Like, I think your phone could probably do a little bit here and there, a few apps, but I don't think that's as accurate as, say, an aura ring would be. But I think what you could do is maybe um, check your heart rate and see how long it takes for your heart rate to go down. I don't know the specifics because I'm not in that world. I don't know if you would know, like, say you go for like a, I don't know, 30 second sprint or something and up or keep your heart rate at a certain pace and then see how long it gets back to baseline. I'm sure there's certain parameters around there. Do you know that off the top of your head? Uh, I don't know that one, but if you don't wake up to the sound of uh, like a loud alarm and if you just wake up naturally, take your heart rate then, just put your fingers to your neck, feel your pulse, uh, count out 10 seconds, count the, the amount of beats. So you'll probably need a timer like your phone or something times it by six and that'll give you a pretty close estimate of your resting heart rate. It's not going to be super accurate, but it's going to be relatively close and you are the the tester. So the inconsistencies will be inconsistent to you because you you are the one testing it. But that's the closest way I, I know of other than a, a ring or like a watch to test resting heart rate. Could also use blood pressure as a good metric as well to test the healthiness of your of your heart too. So 120 over 80 is... <laughs> Yeah, oh well I've got a blood pressure unit at the gym and I do mine probably once a month. So mine's I'm pretty healthy. One twenty one over seventy six it was the other day. So Yeah, every time I get get that checked, I'm I'm pretty sweet with that. Yeah. It's important. Get that going. Yeah. Absolutely. Mate, hit me with the cocaine bear. I want to hear about the cocaine bear. You told me about it before we started recording. <laughs> Talk to me about the cocaine bear because that's that's what you said. Oh, I want to bring up a cocaine bear. Okay. okay. All right. I'll talk bring about up the cocaine. cocaine bear. I'll bring up the cocaine bear, all right? Okay. So some of you may know the new movie that's out, The Cocaine Bear um, on Netflix just recently. And that was loosely based on a 1985 incident where a drug dealer dropped to 75 pounds of cocaine from an airplane along the Georgia-Tennessee border. So he tried to jump out after it, uh, but his parachute failed and plummeted to his death, which is quite sad. A few months later, um, authorities found a ripped-up bag and a dead bear next to it, and they tested the, the bear, and it, he was tested positive for cocaine. 
So that's what the movie is loosely based on. Have yet to watch it, but I think by the time this airs or if you're listening to this in the future, which you most likely will be, I would have watched it. And it's what, a 7, 70% on Rotten Tomatoes and then a 6.5 IMDb. So it's not like the best, but something to... Something to Can know that it's loosely based on. <laughs> yeah. like, crazy, Can you imagine eh? that bear? It would have been the most apex predator on earth for like, I don't know, how, how and the time that it took, it ate the cocaine to the time that he died of an overdose, it would have been the most apex predator on earth. Like, I'm already shit scared of bears as it is. They're vicious, oh. vicious things and they look at you and they just see food. Yeah. Can you imagine hiking through and you stumble across a bear that's high on? <laughs> No stuff. <laughs> oh, oh my, my goodness! It's got like all this white powder over its nose. No way. That's the stuff nightmares are made of. Shit. The, the, the only saving grace is you'd be going. Please have a heart attack before before you get to me. Oh my gosh! Yeah. He's like, fucking. What's this guy doing? He's just shaking. Like, oh, come on, let's go. Come on, look up. Yeah. What the fuck's gotten into Johnny today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bears are wild. Um, hippos, rhinos are wild. They're they're hippos are crazy. They can swim and run. They're they're mind blowing to me. They're the two scary animals for me. <laughs> we can swim and run. Yeah, but not as fast as them, man. And they're <laughs> no, big no, and they're yeah. vicious. That's what I'm meaning. Yeah. yeah they're a lot big of, and they're vicious. A lot of deaths from hippos, apparently. Yeah, man. They're aggressive. They're aggressive things. Really super hyper aggressive. So yeah, as much as it'd be cool to see one in the wild, I'd want to be in the safety of a big sort of vehicle of some sort. Because, yeah, you see them swimming after boats and rivers and stuff, man. They're, yeah, not for me. <laughs> anyway, thanks for bringing up the cocaine bear. That's all right, man. I had, I had heard about that before, but I didn't know they'd done a movie on it. So mm, Just recently out on Netflix, I believe. We, we might have to give it a watch and do a review next week. <laughs> but on the on the, uh, the Class A drug front, um, I've talked about this before, how I think the war on drugs is a bit of a joke. And I think that will eventually come to an end and they'll realize oh look it we've been making massive massive deal just trying to maybe potentially revenue raise or whatever it may be however america is sort of leading the front there in um, legalizing things like psilocybin and ndma for the treatment of ptsd and depression which anything to help i'm pretty sure in the uk now as well they're using um, ketamine for the treatment of depression as well so anything to help someone if whether it be um, struggling with ptsd depression, anxiety, whatever it be, anything to help them um, recover from that, I'm all for. Now, Australia has finally jumped on board. So Australia's version of the FDA surprised the nation in February when they announced that psilocybin and MDMA would be considered medicines and be prescribable by psychiatrists for various mental health disorders by July. Um, psilocybin is obviously... Um, Mushrooms and MDMA is the, the chemical compound. Um, it's currently illegal um, in most countries, but it's going to be able to be used in um, the treatment of depression and PTSD in Australia by July, so long as it's prescribed by a psychiatrist, psychiatrist and used with proper therapy and care. So I'm all for it. I hope it helps people. Yeah, exactly. Just another tool on the tool belt for certain people. Obviously, yeah. they've got to do their due diligence with those kind of compounds because they're some of them can bring up like schizophrenia and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it's very important that they have like strict protocols to not weed out, but like 
really what's the word just like notify yeah assess like are you able to take this kind of stuff and yeah i think last time i remember it was like 70 percent of them only had like two sessions and they were good for like six years so was it six years yeah so so you're bang on john hopkins university found it reduced symptoms of depression by 71 percent. so you're one percent off mate yeah, yeah, I remember reading yeah. that. Yeah, a while ago. <laughs> that's funny. We haven't even shared yeah. that many notes, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. That's that's uh that's crazy. Anything to help people, I'm all for. That's why we've got a podcast. We want to help people. That's why we're personal trainers. We want to help people. We work in the health sphere. Mental health is a big part of that sphere. So let's uh work on mental and physical health by any means necessary. Yep, I'm all for that. What did you want to bring up? Uh, I was just I was just going to bring up uh last week's episode about the creatine <laughs> sorry this is like i i misspoke i know exactly what you're bringing I, up here <laughs> i misspoke when i said it saturates the creatine muscles there's no such thing as creatine muscles i meant to say skeletal <laughs> muscles or skeletal muscles so if you did listen to that last week and you're like what the hell is brad talking about creatine muscles well i just misspoke so just wanted to let the audience know that. <laughs> and if you haven't listened to last week's episode, just listen back for it, even if it is for that classic little creatine muscle uh, spit. <laughs> I can quote it word for word because creatine saturates the creatine muscles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I, knew, I knew what you meant, but I just let yeah, it fly. Creatine yeah. saturates the skeletal muscles. About 95% yeah, yeah. of it, yeah. So, yeah, I'll do that. But do you want to hear a bit of space stuff? Yeah, hit me with it. Space facts. Space facts. All right. So, NASA's, uh, you know, James Webb Telescope, the big boy that's come out, just absolutely destroying shit, meaning finding stuff. Blowing your minds. Yeah, exactly. So, it's captured six images of potential galaxies from early, from the early universe existence from like 500 million to 700 million years after the big bang now that's pretty impressive right (laughs) so massive right um so it's i don't know if it's definite but like because it's so the reason why they think it is galaxies because it's it's red and it's not blue so if it was blue it would have like already or all the um the heat would have just dissipated and cooled down just like the earth. So the earth was a big ball of fire and it cooled down and it created like life. So that's why they're like, oh, it's red. So it, it could be that. Or another theory was maybe it was just, I don't know, distorting it because it was like so far away. But still, six different galaxies, like fucking crazy, man. Like we're not alone. Yeah. We're, we're not alone. No, no, not alone at all. So. No. Yeah, that that that's quite mind blowing. That six different galaxies. Yeah, they they reckon yeah. it shouldn't exist because they're so mature. It shouldn't exist under our current theories of the formation and evolution of our galaxies. So, the 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 um the authors of the paper like described it as bananas, apparently. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, all right, such a great description. Yeah, so much going on in the world of space. Love it. Do you have anything else? I got heaps. Like, where do I go? Okay, so this is this is for all the Adelaide crew out there. So, on Highland Street, you know, you would have been on Highland Street when you came down here um, 
for my birthday one year. Do you remember? Sure, remember it distinctly. <laughs> no, no, you don't, don't really remember. remember. Oh, it's just the main strip that we no. went down after the beach club. So Heine Street's just an iconic street in Adelaide with where all the clubs are and stuff. And there's a specific establishment I would like to call it called the Crazy Horse. Now, if you can't figure out what I'm trying to say, it's basically strippers. <laughs> the iconic original sign, um, for what's just like the crazy horse was just got sold um, at auction recently uh, by a local woman, which was surprising to me for $24,000. So she's like, yeah, she's like glad it's still staying in Adelaide and not going uh, interstate. So I thought that was pretty cool when I saw that. I was like, oh, bring a bit of Adelaide to the podcast. Why not? 24k for a sign for a strip yeah, club. It's a pretty cool sign. Like it's huge, but yeah. Imagine that. Like there was like 23 bidders across from Australia. So they must have uh, enjoyed a few nights there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and it went to it went to a local male, woman. Female. Yeah, a local female. Woman. Yeah. Yeah. 24 Gs on a sign. Crazy. Is it still is it still called Crazy Horse? Yeah, it's still called the Crazy Horse, yep. Oh, see. So oh, I, 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 I believe it's still called the Crazy Horse. So <laughs> I haven't been there in years. I mean, I've never um, been there. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can't really do much with the sign, though, can you? Because, I mean, the business is still in use. So you can, it's not like you can just yeah, hang I, up I something know. else with the Crazy Horse. Maybe she could just like hang it up somewhere and then just get people to come and pay to see it. I have no idea. I have no idea where you're going to put that. Look yeah, at you coming in with. Six galaxies and um, crazy horse signs for strip clubs in Adelaide. Why not? Bringing bring bring all the important information. <laughs> I thought it was relevant to to the podcast. Okay, I'll go. I'll go relevant. I'll go relevant. TikTok. You know, TikTok. So relevant. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a trend on TikTok uh, about uh, they call it Ozempic. Hashtag Ozempic weight loss. So Ozempic is like a tool for um, people with obesity. And so they're using it for weight loss. And uh, they're finding it pretty hard to get supply up because... Oh, it's type two, for type 2 diabetes, sorry. But one of the um, side effects, I guess, is weight loss. Um, and because it's going on TikTok, a lot of people are buying it or getting it prescribed so the supplies are quite low but i think you have to stay on it for it to to lose the weight i'm not actually 100% sure on that but yeah if you're getting your health and fitness from tiktok trends i, I would uh, which is sadly the state of the world yeah i would just caution you um about that we literally talked about this at the start of the episode. Carnivore MD, liver king, yep. quacks that quacks that are pushing agendas in order to potentially sell their own supplements on the back end or sell a program on the back end. Or It's yeah. crazy. T- TikTok falls into that category too. Don't be getting health and nutrition advice off TikTok unless, no. you, unless the person has a body of evidence that they're actually a reliable source. Yeah, and, and the thing is as well, like these people that have type 2 diabetes need it. Um, and the doctors have had to give them like lower doses so that the supplies stay longer. So it's not just 
you're you're not looking at like the whole um cause and effect of like second order thinking of what's going to happen after you buy all this kind of stuff it's like, oh i can lose weight boom i'll just take this drug that's on a hashtag tiktok trend but then other people are going to suffer because they haven't you know done enough obviously there's some dodgy doctors out there maybe giving prescriptions for random stuff but yeah crazy yeah the the base the basic principles will still work right like this may just make it a little bit easier to adhere to those basic principles the basic principles i'm talking about is a calorie deficit <laughs> so yeah yeah you still have to be consuming fewer calories than you are burning it may it may make the the burning component higher and or it may make you less efficient with the calories that you consume, or it may suppress your appetite and have you consuming fewer calories. But the the basic principle of a calorie deficit, the law of thermodynamics, if you will, still you works, will. still still applies. So, yeah, as as I touched on earlier with the the mental health thing, and MDMA and psilocybin helping people with PTSD and depression. If this helps people with obesity, hell yeah, I'm all for it. If it helps people with type two diabetes, hell yeah, I'm all for it. Just try and understand why it may be helping. So like with the psilocybin, it, it opens up different neural pathways. It may make you more open for change and experience. So with this Oz, whatever drug it is, or... Ozempic. Sem- yep, Ozempic or semaglutide. Um, the reason they work, I know semaglutide, the reason it works is because it suppresses your appetite. Therefore, you're not as hungry. Therefore, you don't need as many calories. You're not eating as many calories. You put yourself in a calorie deficit, you lose weight. So understand the reasoning of why they work. And then you can utilize them and be like, yes, it's working. Great success. Thank you. Thank you for modern technology. And then keep applying those basic principles because they work. We preach the basics all the time. We do preach the basics, but the basics it's, aren't it's, sexy. There's a reason why. Yeah. No, they're not sexy. Maybe we should dress the basics up in lingerie or something. <laughs> so do you have a fact for me or do you want to I hear do. A fact? I do. You do. You, you hit me with a fact and then I'll hit you with an animal one. All right. Of course you would. <laughs> Okay, so back in 1983, on July 21st, the record for the lowest temperature ever. Do you want to have a guess at what it would be? It was in Antarctica, in Vostok, I believe it's called. Uh, Fahrenheit, Celsius, what are we talking? Well, we're... we're Celsius? Imperial, aren't we? Or are we the metric system? No, we're metric system, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it'd yeah, be we with the times. degrees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, minus hundred. Oh, close. Minus eighty nine point two degrees Celsius. In other words, fucking cold. Yep. And for those of you <laughs> in the Imperial, it's minus one hundred twenty eight point six Fahrenheit. Crazy. Sounds more impressive. Fahrenheit sounds more impressive. It does. Like... Unless you're oh, it's like, a, it's a it's a hundred degrees out, brother. It's thirty five degrees. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, they go in opposite ends, except for where they meet, which is at minus 40, if you didn't know that. Yeah, so it's bizarre. bizarre. Anyway, my, my animal fact, and <laughs> quite interesting. So, all halibut, which is a type of fish, Fishies. I believe, yep, are male until they reach 45 inches in length, then they all become female. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, it's, there's a whole lot of cougars out there. I would assume, <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, it's the opposite. So, so with the human species, right? It's typically a, a taller male and a shorter female. It's got to be the opposite with halibut. They've all got to be shorter female and, I mean, shorter male and longer 
female. I found that quite interesting. So that the female will be bigger in the mating process if that's the case. All male until they reach 45 inches in length and they all become female. And, they, and what, they just change? Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Crazy. That yeah. is, that's mind-boggling. I guess it's obviously fish, but... All right, enough with our facts. Let's get stuck into some questions. Yeah, probably should help some people. <laughs> hey, we hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just before we get to the questions, the only way we grow this podcast and help more people is if you share this podcast. So if you're a fan of the show and got any value from us whatsoever, we'd truly appreciate it if you would share it with your family and friends so they may also get something out of it too. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed the rest of this episode. Question number one, how do you warm up for a one rep max? So are they talking like mobility or are they actually talking sets and reps and stuff like that, do you think? Let's uh, let's talk how you would warm up for a one rep max. <clears throat> like Me personally? Specifically. Yeah, okay. so let's say, let's say a couple of months from now, the bet's on, you're about to move into the house, you've got to hit this 150 squat. What are you doing before you hit that 150 squat? Yeah, well, I'll probably do a little bit of mobility, a bit of uh, world's greatest stretch, dapper edition, get that onto it. <laughs> um, maybe some some light squats, some light, um, maybe even some light seated curls just to warm up those hammies a bit, get them moving. And then I'll start squatting. So I'll work up, so I'll go bar, then I'll probably go, I'll, I'll do it for like, I don't know, five or six. And then I'll do, put, probably put on some 20s. And I'll have a lighter weight with higher reps. So it'll be like, say, 70% of what, 70% of my one rep max or something for like eight. And then like 75 for like six, 80 for four, 85 for like three, 90 for two, and then 95 for like one. And then I'll go with one. So it'll be a a big build up all that time, just feeling it, feeling the weight, seeing how I'm going, making sure that I'm resting at least three minutes in between the sets. And also my mindset around it as well. So if I'm going in there and I've had a shit sleep and my mindset's not on it, I'm not going to hit the lift. Like I'm just going to wait for maybe the next day or the next couple of days once I know that I'm fed and fueled. Because if your mindset isn't there, you might get into the squat and then your psychology would be like, oh, I can't lift this and then just bail and you could potentially hurt yourself. So one, I hardly do one rep maxes and that is because I haven't really had a strength goal for ages. I've got one now, but I'm not one rep maxing all the time. I'm building up to it. So I'm doing like heavy fives, heavy fours and stuff like that because it's quite taxing on the muscle if you're doing like high reps up high weight all the time and your risk of injury goes up so for warming up that's what i would do um make sure that i had good sleep it's all the build up before the night before the day before as well and the day of too i'd probably make sure it'd be around that two o'clock mark that i would probably hit that lift as well i wouldn't do it in the morning because i'm not used to training in the morning either but if you are training in the morning and you're used to the morning, I would probably train in the morning and, and go for that lift then as well. Do everything that you normally would do as well. I'm sure you have like maybe a routine, but you don't want to go from like 60 kilo squat to like fucking 150 squat, like <laughs> like that. You want it, you want to yeah. build it up. And 
eight reps may even be too too much as well. So you may even go like six, five, four, three, two, one. So because you don't want that damage right there, you don't want to be exhausted by the time you're going to lift this massive rep. Maybe even just do threes, like two or threes even. But personally, like it's only sixty kilos. It's only eighty. It's only eight. I want to really practice the lift, and you may even just keep practicing it with the with the bar for a while before you start adding weight. And you want to really feel good with your hips and your quads and your glutes. Make sure everything's firing. Make sure, and especially make sure you're in a a um a right mindset when you are going to hit that lift, or else things can definitely go wrong. I'm glad you touched on mindset because that was the first place that I was going to go. So it depends on what lift I'm doing, but typically I'll foam roll and I don't foam roll for any benefit of foam rolling. I foam roll as that's a time where I think about what I'm going to do. Um, um, may even visualize me hitting the lift. Um, it's just preparing my mind for going after that one RM. Now, what I do is specific depending on which one I'm going for. So if you're talking 1RM, I'm assuming it's bench, squat, deadlift. It's very different depending on which one I'm doing. So I will do a little bit of mobility, not as much as what I'd normally do. I don't want to waste any time doing that considering I've got myself in the mindset beforehand. Um, I'll do more priming exercises. So let's say I'm doing a squat. It may be like a side plank with a leg lift, a bird dog, some glute bridges, some leg swings, and then I'll get stuck in that's after foam rolling it's a bench it might be some band of face pulls some band of pull apart some shoulder external rotations like it's all priming muscles that i want to have locked in place to be able to bench in terms of warm-up sets so i'm the same as you uh if it's a squat bench or deadlift i always start with 60 which is a, a 20 on either side um i always start with that and i'll do i don't even count the reps it's okay i can like if I'm benching, okay, I can feel my pecs are a little bit warm. I can feel a bit of blood in my delts. I can feel a bit of blood in my triceps. Bang, done. If I'm squatting, okay, I'm starting to get a little bit of a pump in my quads. I don't, I don't, you don't want to pump. So I just go till I feel warm in the muscles that I'm using. So um, a deadlift, I may want to prime with some straight arm lat pull downs or a lat prayer, whatever you want to call it. If I feel a bit of a pump in my lower back or in my hamstrings or in my glutes, that's where I stop that set of deadlifts at. I don't count the reps. Then from there, it's two or three reps of everything building up. If it's a deadlift, let's say for me now, I'm getting up to like 250, 260 kilos. It's 40 kilo increments until I get close. And then it's 10 kilo increments. And then I'll probably, if I'm going for 250, I'll probably do 200, 220, 230, 240, all with two three-minute rest periods in between. And then I'll look to overshoot and hit that PB. But yeah, it's very, very case dependent on which exercise I'm doing and my first exercise, like I said, I don't cut reps. I just want to feel in the groove and get that central nervous system firing. And then I gradually build up two to three reps the whole way through. And then eventually I'll go for, for my 1RM. I do taper off to the end though. So like the, the second last set or the third last warm-up set, it'll only be one rep. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's it for me. Yeah, that's good. Um, And like talking about one rep maxes as well, this is something that you shouldn't be doing all the time. And no. it's a high risk as well because it's a weight that you haven't done so mm. just be mindful of especially on a bench that you have either safeties or you've got someone there to lift i would prefer you have the safeties because some people may say that they're good at spotting but unless they're like a seasoned uh spotter for you um i wouldn't i would just have those safeties like in a in a cage or something 
same with the squat. Just chuck on, chuck in the um, the bars or whatever your safety and deadlifts. Like you're fine doing deadlifts because drop the weight. You can just easily drop the weight. So yeah. just that's just another thing just to be mindful of when you are going for a one rep max of like maybe even just letting people at home let them know that you're going to do it as well <laughs> just in case something happens and you're not back from yeah. the gym. Yeah, I, that's a good point. Like, why are you testing a one rep max? Like, how often should you be doing that? Like, like, it really taxes the central nervous system. So as much as you think rest days are to give your muscles a break, that central nervous system is so pivotal. You're not going to fire well if that central nervous system is constantly fried. So I reckon I test a one rep max on a, a deadlift, a squat, a bench, maybe twice a year, maybe. Um, and that's that's a big maybe. It's probably just once a year, and that's probably a middle of a, a bulk or middle of winter when I've got a little bit of extra fluff. Mm. But yeah, that'd be about it. Yeah, unless you're but, a power lifter. Um, yeah, yeah. And even then, they don't test their one rep maxes um, fairly often because it is, yeah, a one rep max, meaning the most weight you've ever lifted. <laughs> and uh, for the general population or for people that need to build muscle, you don't need to be hitting one rep maxes. So, yeah, you'd be doing like fucking 10 sets of of one, like when you could do one set of 10. it looks cool on TikTok. It does. It does. does. And and we love that stuff. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Question number two. After a cut, should I reverse my calories back up slowly or go straight to maintenance? Mm. You're you're allowed to say it depends. It depends. It does. It depends (laughs) how low you went. Um, But I personally would go straight back up to predicted maintenance um, and just get out of a deficit, especially if you've been in it for a while because good things happen when you're in the maintenance and then just see what your body's doing for like a, a week or so. And inevitably you'll gain weight because one, you're eating more food. Two, you're not in a deficit anymore. Um, a lot of water weight comes in with carbohydrates and all that kind of stuff. So don't be upset if you've gained another one or one to three kilos after your like cut cut. Um, but that's why we preach averages over the time just to see, just let it clear out, kind of smooth out over a week or two. See and see what your weight's doing after like a week or two at your predictor maintenance and you'll be able to see going slowly. I don't like going slowly at all for the reason that you may still be in a deficit and like you've been in the deficit so long. Like, why do you want to keep being in the deficit? I get that you don't want to gain fat, but like, you want to you want to get up to your predicted maintenance. So then you won't gain fat. Like you, well, you gain a little bit of fat, but it inevitably you'll end at that spot, and your miles will get in a spot where you can start to build more muscle and feel better instead of like dragging it out for another six or twelve weeks where you just feel like shit and um, your training will still suffer and everything will be up the shit so go up to predictive maintenance and you'll know like after a couple of weeks if you've either undershoot it shot it or overshot it and that's just by working out what your weight's doing and how many calories you're having on average over those periods of time yeah i'm very much in it depends here so it depends who i'm talking to if i've got someone who has had a terrible relationship with the scale and i've got a body of evidence that suggests as such then i'll be more inclined to maybe go halfway to their predicted maintenance and then go again. And that's a way of me going, look, I'm giving you half of what I would probably prefer to do, which is go straight to predictive maintenance. I'm giving you half of it. 
and it gives them an opportunity for one, the scale not to shoot up drastically because it likely will shoot up drastically if you go to predictor maintenance, more food, more carbs, more water, more glycogen in the muscles. <clears throat> and two, it gives me an opportunity for them to assess for a week or two weeks of, oh, wow, I've increased my food. I feel so much better. My training is so much better. And you go, okay, well, we're going to go actually to your maintenance now. Keep paying close attention to that parameter so they know what to look for rather than just being dialed in on the scale. So it really depends who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to someone with a poor relationship with the scale, then I'll probably go in a half and it may be like I may go up half for one to two weeks just to be on the more for the mindset side of things. But my preference would be just to go straight to predicted maintenance, get out of a deficit because um, there is some negative side effects of being in a deficit. You want to rebalance your hormonal function you want to get back to good training in the gym. You want to feel strong again. Um, you want to increase your, your energy, have better mood. So go back to to maintenance um, as soon as possible. But yeah, it depends, it depends who I'm talking to. This is very case dependent. Yeah, I think people, they do get a little scared about that, that initial weight bump up once they've mm. stopped dieting. Um, I think, yeah, you're right. If you've got a bad relationship, yeah. That, that could definitely work. Um, it's also just education around it as well. Just knowing yeah. that it's going to go up. You're going to go up. It's going to be okay. Like look at yourself in the mirror. Maybe even not weigh yourself for that like week after you've bumped it up just to say, all right, like you may even feel out and look even better once because you've been so depleted of everything. And then like, you know, when they do the, um, what is it in the bodybuilding, the peak week? Cub. Yeah, yeah, they just carb up and they fucking look yeah. amazing. That could literally happen that first week and maybe just stay away from the scale and, and you can look at yourself visually you'd be like, damn, I look so much better. Um, and then you can start adding in all the other stuff and checking your weight. So there's a, yeah, there's a few ways of doing it. I guess you just have to figure out for you what the best thing for you and your psychology is around this kind of stuff. Um, and if you don't know... Um, hire someone that can help you through mm. this process as well because it you won't see certain things because you're in a deficit and if depending on how long you've been in the deficit as well it starts to play with your brain a lot as well and you can't make proper decisions and things will like irritate you um if you've been in it for too long so yeah that's another option as well if you've got no idea what you're doing yeah hire a professional I don't try and fix my own toilet. I hire a plumber. I do. <laughs> Question number three. Would it be better to focus posterior delts on back day rather than shoulder day? So I got this question, right? And I... Gym want, yeah, yeah, it's just like there's... The question isn't the question that I would like to see from people because... They're obviously just doing like a back day and a shoulder day, which is mm. just inefficient and yeah, very, very bro-like. I get that people like doing it, but honestly, if you want to bring up your posterior delts, which is just your rear delts, like a fancy way of saying your rear delts, just do them first and you can like just do them twice a week and it can be on both days, shoulder day and back day, whatever you want. But really, if you're dedicating them like you're only going to hit them once if you're doing them on one day so that's why i don't actually like this question at all because it's like well if you want to bring up your delts you're asking me should i do them 
on one day a week. Like you're going to obviously get a bit of retail when you do back. And if you do certain, I think like face pulls and all that kind of stuff. But like, yeah, the question, I don't even like the way the question's worded because it's it's saying that I only have one day a week to work on my rear delts. Whereas I found personally, most people's front delts are well overworked with all the pressing movements. So I don't even put in front raises for that reason. Like I think they're Neither a waste of time. So it's mm-hmm. like work on your side delt, work on your rear delts first. Um, and you can have them on both days if you want. But really, I would structure your your workouts for like either a full body, half body, maybe even push pull legs, depending on where you're at in your like in your your cycle, <laughs> depending where you are in your phases. Um, but yeah, I that's that's a bro, very chest, back, legs, whatever mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's like I think just look at your programming first before asking a question like when should I, where should I put my rear delts? Yeah, I'm in a grants. My answer would have been both because. Yep. you should be training them more frequently rather than just one day. And I like the fact that you touched on, because this is a very aesthetics-based question, I feel. So if it is the aesthetics you're looking for and you really want to develop that rear delt, prioritize them at the start of the session, do an extra couple of sets on them. Let's say you are adamant that you want to stick to your gym bro split of chest, back, shoulders, arms, legs. Let's say you're adamant you want to stick to that because you're like, I'll get the most enjoyment out of it. Well, on back day, do the rear delt at the end of the session. On the shoulder day, do the rear delt start and prioritize them there. Therefore, you're still hitting them twice a week. But yeah, look at your look at your whole programming and your total volume over the space of a week rather than just chest day, back day, shoulder day, leg yeah. day, arm day, ab day. Yeah. And if you want to keep them in, that's fine. Like keep your programming the way it is. But if you want to grow them, yeah prioritize and make sure you're doing it more than once a week you can even have it have you know rear, rear delts and calves day or something with a bit of like <laughs> obliques nothing wrong with that right so yeah okay question number four what to do if you're in a deficit and struggle to go up in weights on your lifts would a diet break help diet break would definitely help next question <laughs> <laughs> so you like you're doing exactly what I'm doing right now. Like you're trying to be in a deficit and be strong and it's really hard, but I'm just powering on, mate. I'm just powering on. So this, uh, of course, a diet break is going to help, but we've talked about before, depending on what lifts, like if you're going to be going in a deficit and you're really stuck on these numbers, maybe try different exercises, which you will inevitably get stronger at because you haven't done it before. So that's another way to trick your body. Maybe do single a single unilateral exercises as well that can trick your brain into saying, oh, I'm actually working on this skill. I'm getting stronger at these lifts and stuff. But if you're struggling to go up in weights on all lifts, it's most likely because, yeah, you don't have the energy like you did before. You're probably losing a bit more weight. So your ratio as well and your levers may have changed slightly. Um, so if you want to go for a diet break, that's all that's 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 fine if you want to but you're in a deficit you're in a deficit for a reason you obviously want to lose some fat so a diet break is going to slow your progress on your fat loss phase so what do you want do you want to go up in weights or do you want to keep losing fat so you've got to choose what's your priority now i'm (laughs) i'm doing both but it's only one lift it's only my squat 
So it's fine for me. But for you, if you want all weights to go up, because you seems like you're struggling, but like that's the whole point. It's because you're trying to figure out, uh, you're trying to do two things at once, like get all your weights up and get into a deficit. Um, and you're suggesting would a diet break help? Yes, of course, diet break is going to help. But like, do you want to lose fat or do you want to get strong? Pick one. Don't be like me. <laughs> yeah, I've got two questions. And from the two questions that I would give this person is how I would formulate my answer. So the first one is how aggressive is your deficit? If you're in an aggressive deficit, you're going to be less likely to be able to maintain or increase your weights. So maybe check how aggressive your deficit is. And secondly, is you touched on it. What is your main goal and priority right now? If your main goal and priority is you want to lose weight, then put your focus on the the weight loss and not the getting strong in the gym. If your main goal is I want to be really strong, then okay, probably go to maintenance, maybe even to a slight surplus and focus on strength. But you're not going to be a bodybuilder and a marathon runner at the same time. They're conflicting goals. It just doesn't work that way. So really focus and prioritize one aspect and go, okay, I'm going to ignore the weights. I'm just going to go in move my body, maybe just change your exercises up to ones that you aren't currently doing. And that way it'll take that mindset away from you. You can focus on your fat loss, hit your fat loss goal, and then go, okay, I'll reintroduce those exercises now that I'm at maintenance or in a slight surplus. And then I can focus on strength, but conflicting goals is, is what I'm getting here. So, but alternatively, just maybe try um, addressing the, the aggressiveness of your deficit first and make it a smaller deficit. Um, and see if that helps. If that doesn't help, switch your exercises up completely. Go to different exercises. Just focus purely on the fat loss. And then once you hit your fat loss goal and you're like, okay, I'm happy with where I'm at now, then reintroduce the calories and focus on strength. Yeah. Just do some like body weight exercises because if you're losing weight, then you'll get stronger and do more reps of that. So that's a bit of a mind trick for you as well. <laughs> yeah. I mentioned that before. Push-ups, pull-ups. Uh, sorry, push-ups, pull-ups, dips. Yeah. Yep. yep. And those dips are the ones on the bench because we don't like those other dips. No. <laughs> Correct. They're the ones on the bar. Bench dips are shit. <laughs> oh, shit. You're very adamant about that, aren't you? Oh, it's just the position it puts the, the, the humerus in in the front of the shoulder capsule. It's just, oh, it's yuck. It doesn't feel, dips don't feel good at all the first time you do them. Oh, anyway. I, I, don't, I don't mind bar dips. <laughs> a- anywho. That's a wrap for today's questions. If you want your questions answered in the future, make sure you are following us at brain.body.movement, at Brad Dapper, and at Brock underscore Dalgleish. And you can ask us a question whenever we put up a sticker box or send us a DM. And we just want to say thank you so much for listening to us. If you enjoyed or took any value at all from this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you took a screenshot and shared to your Instagram stories. We would also love if you shared it with family and friends and left us a five-star review. And don't forget to turn on post notifications so you don't miss an episode in the future. But before we go, we can leave you with a few things. Make your damn bed, get your steps in, and be kind to one another. Cheers. When a drug dealer dropped 75 pounds of cocaine from an airplane along the Georgia-Tennessee border. So he tried to jump out after it, but then his parachute failed and he plummeted to his death. Well, it's not funny, but anyways, um, a few months later, authorities found uh, a re- like a ripped up bag. Can I go back, back. <laughs> What do you mean?
<laughs> what did I do wrong? Uh, he's, he's like plummeted to his death, and he had a little chuckle. I can't from shit like, but, but it's not funny. <laughs> yeah, it probably should be. You're, you're right. It's not funny. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, it was a drug dealer. But yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Okay. Uh, I'll cut that out. That's going at the end. Yep. <laughs>